Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to a special fungal horror episode of New Scientist Weekly. I am Bethan Ackley, I am a sub-editor and the TV columnist at New Scientist. So, for the past few weeks, uh, there's only really been one thing on my mind, and that's fungi. So I'm a, I'm a long-time fan of mushrooms and all the other incredible, intelligent organisms in the fungal kingdom. But the reason why I've been thinking about fungi recently is because of The Last of Us, which is a new TV show that's adapted from a really, really good game that is one of the things that kicked off my interest in fungi in the first place. So The Last of Us is set in a world where a parasitic fungus called cordyceps, uh, which usually infects insects and arthropods, mutates and crosses over into humans, turning them into these hyper-aggressive cannibals and ultimately leading to the collapse of civilization as we know it. And it follows uh, a character called Joel, who's a smuggler, and a teenage girl called Ellie as they cross the ruins of America about 20 years into this fungal pandemic. And that sounds pretty unpleasant. And it made me wonder how worried we should be about the many different fungal threats that are out there today. And it's not just humans that we need to be worried about. There are things like chytrid fungi, which have caused decline or extinction in more than 500 amphibian species. So thankfully, I'm able to put my questions about The Last of Us and a, you know, a possible fungal apocalypse to an expert. Professor Matthew Fisher researches fungal pathogens and the factors driving their spread at Imperial College London. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Beth. Pleasure to be here. I'm hoping that you can kind of give me a bit of peace of mind <laughs> about The Last of Us, which depicts this obviously really horrible fungus that takes over the minds of human hosts. How accurate is the fungal pandemic that's portrayed in the show? And is something like this ever likely to actually happen? Well, to an extent, it's happening right here, right now. We're uh, exposed every day to fungal spores, which all have the capability to grow in us and um, to kill us. This is just a fact of life. Now, obviously, this isn't a new problem. We've evolved with these fungi. So we have developed an extraordinary uh, set of immune receptors and immune cells, which are designed to conquer the fungi that uh, invade us every day. Um, for instance, Melec is a specific fungal receptor that detects melanin and mops up those deadly spores. So we're well protected. But this show really starts thinking about something that is entirely different. And I suppose that's what we need to think about here. The thing that kicks off the series is this warning from uh, a character called Dr. Newman in the 1960s, who's discussing uh, what might happen if rising temperatures led to certain parasitic fungi adapting to survive in the warmer temperatures of human bodies. 
Is this actually something we, that we need to be worried about as climate change progresses? So what this show depicts is a, a zombie fungus that's evolved to manipulate human behaviour and to transmit. So first of all, this, this hypothetical fungus that they're playing around with has evolved the ability to grow at 37 degrees. Now, that's perfectly possible. There's over 350 species of fungal pathogen which can grow at that high temperature and can cause illness um, in humans. But we know and understand those fungi, fungal infections pretty well. Certainly, global temperatures will exert a strong directional selection on that huge, deep well of fungal biodiversity that's out there. I mean, we know 150,000 species of fungi, but there's millions more. And some of those will evolve to grow at above 37 degrees, and then we're going to be exposed to new organisms. And perhaps some of them will have traits such as those that are described in The Last of Us. Now, as you know, this is a zombie fungus, so it actually manipulates the behaviour of the humans. And we know that fungi can readily do that. I mean, LSD is a derivative of um, an alkaloid ergotamin that grows in uh, a fungus claviceps purpurea. And we all know the, the effect that LSD has on the human mind. That's caused great changes in behaviour in, in an entire societal group. So it's also known in, as a ergotism is poisoning by ergotamine, sometimes known as St. Anthony's fire or formification. And it's been linked to extreme societal events such as the Salem witch trials in the 17th century, when people ate mouldy grain and were poisoned and their behaviours altered in very bizarre ways. So certainly this combination of high temperatures selecting for new fungi that can grow in the humans and the ability to manipulate behaviour is uh, theoretically possible. Interesting. Um, so these kind of zombie fungi that you've been talking about, if such as a fungus were able to survive in humans, um, would it actually be sophisticated enough to have similar effects in humans or could it, could it wreak havoc in us in, in some other way? So what this fungus has done is it's started to manipulate human behaviour to onwardsly transmit itself. Now, what we do know about the zombie fungi, and they principally affect insects to determine their transmission. I mean, one really wonderful example is sometimes known as the horror movie sex bot fungus. That's Massospora <laughs> circadina, which um, has the longest life cycle of any fungus because it infects the cicadas that have a 17-year periodic cycle. And what Massosema does, Massospora does, is it produces a naturally occurring amphetamine that makes the cicadas hypersexy, and they then fly and they mate with other cicadas and they then transmit the fungus onwards. So this is a, a zombie fungus that drives its transmission through altering basically as a sexually transmitted disease. But that's very specific evolutionary association between one fungus, one insect. And any fungus which evolved to infect humans, and even if it had psychoactive properties, it would require a very long period of evolution for it actually to figure out how to onwardsly transmit and refine that. So I think this is where the show falls down, is when we're unlikely to be infected with a new fungal infection that is able to manipulate our behaviour in a way that it can onwardsly transmit. And this is the kind of an idea that the show is playing around with. But it's a very good idea, I think. 
I'm going to have to look up that fungus almost as soon as this interview is over. That's it, it's the, it is the most extraordinary system. Yeah, the <laughs> the horror, horror movies expots. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it, um, there are a few changes that uh, the TV show has made from the game. So in the game, uh, this particular cordyceps uh, fungus, it spreads via spores in the air, whereas in the TV show, it sort of spreads via this intelligent underground network that can direct the infected humans and seek out new human hosts. Um, I was just wondering, how does cordyceps spread in reality? Is, is, is it a mixture of the two? Is it, is it one or the other? Cordyceps spreads through spores. So the one that we know best and uh, which David Attenborough famously excited the world with, I think, back in 2012. So that's Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. And that produces, infects carpenter ants, produces a psychoactive compound called hypoxanthanine. Now that causes the, manipulates the ants to climb up leaf stems and then to clamp on. So these death clamps, and we we find fossils of these uh, death clamps. So this is a system that's been around for millennia. At that point, Ophiocordyceps sporulates in the ant and the spores reign over the forest floor and infect new ants. So that's the kind of the shame with the uh, the show is that they didn't want everyone marching around with gas masks on. So <laughs> they they steered away from spores. And that's the most likely mode of transmission. That's how very many fungal infections infect humans. So the question then becomes, is there a fungus which can kind of transmit through contact rather than aerosolized spores? And yes, I mean, there are, there are many fungi that do that. So candida albicans, which we're uh, all familiar with, causes brush and, and yeast infections. That is a, a touch-transmitted organism. So, you know, fungi can spread from contact between individuals. And indeed, we have a, a fairly quiet pandemic going on at the moment of a new yeast infection. It's called Candidororis, and it's quietly colonizing the world and has been since 1999. We don't really know where it came from, but we do know it's there. And it's, it's, causing, um, it's causing quite a lot of trouble in hospitals. I see. Is that leading to deaths directly? or It is leading to deaths directly, yes. If you're um, susceptible to Candida auris and you get a, an infection, a bloodstream infection that's caused by it, then uh, it's, it's very resistant to antifungal drugs. So it's hard to treat. And yes, people, people do die of it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So this this underground network in the TV show, it appears to be inspired by mycelia, which are these root-like structures that provide fungi with nutrients and allow them to sort of communicate with parts of themselves. How intelligent are these sort of real-life equivalents, which obviously aren't sending out infected humans uh, to find other human hosts to infect? I mean, they're entirely unintelligent from the point of view that they're a distributed network that react to nutritional sources. But the behaviour that can emerge from this um, non-sentient network can look extremely intelligent and just because these hyphal networks that ramify underground 
can be extraordinarily large and have innumerable, innumerable connections. So we're, we're thinking about something that has as many contacts as there would possibly be in the human brain. And that means that the organism can sense its environment and move nutrients across that mycelial network in very, very responsive ways. And this is where, you know, we start hearing phrases such as the wood wide web and so on and so forth. They're certainly incredibly sophisticated structures that are responsible for a lot of the ecosystem function and ecosystem engineering that we see. And we entirely don't understand how this all happens. We just know that it's fan fascinatingly complex. And some people would argue that it uh, has very intelligent attributes. So your team at Imperial studies emerging fungal pathogens. Which of the fungal epidemics that are currently taking place across the world are of concern to you? This is what makes studying fungi, fungal pathogens so fascinating is they impact everything. They impact crops, they impact, impact humans, and they impact wildlife. I mean, if you're thinking about the pathogen, and this is, includes bacteria and viruses and, that has wreaked most havoc on the world, I would pick a fungus. I'd pick an amphibian infecting fungus, Petrachochytrium dendrobatidis, and this is something that my group has been working on for the last 20 years. This uh, particular fungus, somewhat akin to um, the Ophicodocyps in The Last of Us, exploded out, out of Asia, probably in the first half of the 20th century, and has uh, infected frogs across the planet. It's driven many species to extinction and uh, damaged um, hundreds, if not thousands, of other species. So they can they cause havoc in wildlife, and they they also can be can be really nasty infections in humans, and that's at the Imperial School of Public Health where I work. We look at the fungal infections that um, attack patients who have got predisposing risk factors. So, if you're immunosuppressed, if you've got cystic fibrosis, if you've had a lung transplant, then you will be exposed to fungal infections. And if a fungal infection does, you do unfortunately acquire it. Clinicians often fear these as much as they do the cancer itself, because they're so hard to treat and initially to diagnose in the first place. So when a fungal pathogen is affecting animals, I imagine it must be quite hard to get people's attention to it, as opposed to when it affects humans. Um, what should we be doing about things like the chytrid fungi that are affecting amphibian populations? Well, it kind of goes back to the essential unknownness of the fungal kingdom. There's, there are so many species there that haven't been described. We continually get surprised by new fungal infections. And this, of course, it was what happened with the chytrid fungus in amphibians. I mean, who knew a swimming fungus, an aquatic fungus, could be quite as pathogenic as it is. I mean, and it, it is truly horrific in certain rainforest um, contexts or high mountain contexts. I mean, there, there are places where you, you will not hear frogs call anymore. And it's infected the whole functioning of those ecosystems. But in answer to your question, we, we need to develop the lens to actually detect these fungi when they emerge early enough that we actually have a chance of doing something about it. So for the chytrids, you know, they emerged in the first half of the 20th century, but we knew nothing about them. By the time we'd actually keyed into the fact that this panzotic was happening, it was far, far too late and the bug was everywhere. So 
really we need to be better at detecting fungi. We also need to pay a lot more attention to biosecurity than we do. We're all a bit familiar with biosecurity now after COVID-19 and fungi, just like viruses, can spread extraordinarily rapidly through our human trade networks and through the movement of humans themselves. So again, paying more attention to biosecurity is necessary to slow their spread. So what is your research uncovering about fungi like Aspergillus? Yes, well, Aspergillus is a really, really interesting one because that's, uh, as I alluded to in the early part of our conversation, is one of the hardcore fungal pathogens that we're exposed to every day. I mean, Aspergillus is everywhere and it just quietly rots down our composts and the bread in our bread bin and so on and so forth. And we're very, very good at dealing with the spores unless we have a predisposing risk factor. We become sick and at that point your doctor will give you some form of azole-based antifungal to clear the infection. Now what we found with Aspergillus fumigatus is it's developing resistance across the planet to those frontline antifungal drugs that are based on the azole chemical structure and It's really, really quite common now to the extent that we're probably all exposed through the year to this azole-resistant aspergillus. Now, the reason that this has happened, we believe, is because azoles are also used widely in the environment, in agriculture, in horticulture, so on and so forth. So this is a dual-use problem. The same class of chemicals is used in the environment as is used in the clinics, and that's why the Aspergillus has become resistant in the environment and then can colonize our patients. So essentially what we've done is we've conducted a global evolutionary experiment by exposing fungi to these very, very widely deployed chemicals. And they've done what fungi do and has responded to them. Natural selection has done its thing and changed the population structure of the fungi in ways that we don't really understand and we certainly don't want. Um, We need these frontline clinical antifungal drugs to work, otherwise people will die who didn't need to die. And so that's what my lab is really focusing on at the moment, is how broad this problem is, where are the hotspots of emergence of these azole-resistant aspergillus spores, and what can we do against the mitigate against this threat, you know, as it grows and as these genotypes spread. Do you think that if you found yourself in the middle of a Last of Us-style fungal pandemic, do you think that your your knowledge would do you well? Do you, how, how do you think you'd do? Would I survive? I mean, certainly I know enough about airborne spores to be able to defend myself against those. But if there was something that uh, had little tenderly mycelia that were creeping into the fabric of my house, then, um, I mean, certainly... What I would get hold of is as many um, azole-based paints, the sorts of things <laughs> that you <laughs> that you'd put in your bathroom when you get those black moulds on the walls, and I'd flipping paint everything with azoles. And I reckon if I kept the windows tightly shut and uh, I had enough azole-based paint in my house, I'd be safe at least for um, the short term. Longer term, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Right, I'm, I'm going to be copying that tip uh, if it comes to it. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much for talking to us and, and not quite putting my mind at rest, but, you know, giving me something else to worry about instead. So, you know, variety is the spice of life and all. <laughs> um, and, and thank you all for listening to this special episode of New Scientist Weekly. 
I'll put a link in the show notes to my story on The Last of Us, which covers all sorts of fungal horror in television that you might want to check out. Please do consider subscribing to our show and we'll be back with more soon. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 